Welcome to Oh This World. This is a podcast for those inclined to take action. In season one, we identified what each of us can do as individuals to hold our elected officials accountable in the age of coronavirus. Now, with an election approaching, we're focused on the big picture. For the rest of 2020, we will dedicate each month to an urgent issue facing Texas and America. We will interview activists, thinkers, and citizens about how to engage on the biggest challenges facing the country. And we will spotlight a book that tackles each topic head-on. I'm Antoinette Perez. And I'm Lucas Schaefer. We're friends, engaged citizens, and activists here in Austin, Texas. Our mission is to help Texans and people across the country build an America that leaves no one behind. So wash your hands, grab a drink, and join us for Oh This World. Hello, and welcome back to Oh This World. Welcome back. It has been so long. We're back. We're back. We said we were coming back next week, and then we just didn't appear for weeks. And you we know why? Why? It's a, pan- it's a pandemic. It's a pandemic, and we were tired, like so many progressive activists. We were tired. We we just needed a damn minute. <laughs> we needed a lot of minutes. We finished recording that episode hot on the heels of the election before we had any decisive news on the presidential outcome. We oh, did we not even know who'd that. won? Mm-mm. Oh, my God. I mean, we were raw and tired. Yeah. We were. We, oh, All we of were. those things. Oh, I was exhausted. I'm still tired. Yes. I think lots of people are. And and things look a little different now. So on that national level, we have a new president coming in. And that's official now. Electoral college official. Yes, he's, right? he's been elected 500 times now. He's, <laughs> he's yes. in. We're done. He's in. Good. And we also know that on a state level, things weren't so great for us here in Texas. <sighs> I, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of work to do. We, are we, should we talk about the Texas Monthly article that aggravated me just because? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the Texas Monthly article because it is very related to where we left things in our last conversation here on the air. Right. So, so Texas it. Monthly every year has like a bum steer award for sort of the worst, most incompetent, most malicious, whatever people in politics. Is that mm-hmm. an accurate description? I don't I don't know exactly what they how they categorize the award, right. but it's, you know, you don't want to win it. This year, they gave it to the Texas Democratic Party, which I just, it's not, a, I mean, this is a in the grand scheme of things, completely irrelevant. But it is interesting that that would be the take of sort of the the mainstream media in Texas, in that we have a governor and a Republican Party whose incompetence has, and mendacity and just foolishness, has led to 25,000 dead Texans and counting, a total mismanagement of covid and this piece you know they have a little explanation as to to why the texas democratic party which obviously there were high expectations for democrats in texas and they didn't didn't uh come to fruition in this entire piece there's no mention of gerrymandering there's no mention of gerrymandering i it's 
it's just so frustrating because there's a structural issue that is preventing um, Texas Democrats from succeeding. And look, it's that's not the only issue. Uh, MJ Hagar didn't lose because of gerrymandering, right? But nonetheless, um, you know, I saw a map just the other day. Texas Republicans control 64% of our House seats and won something like 55%, 54% of the electorate. So, yes, Texas is a changing state. Yes, the, at least among voters, there are more Republicans. These things are true. Um, but they should have an advantage of a little bit over half, perhaps, and not a massive... <laughs> majority i mean it's it's just it's it's infuriating it's you know and as we talked about last show i mean in travis county travis county when all was said and done went 45 points for biden 97 percent of people are registered in travis county 70 percent voted pretty good numbers and it was not close because of the fact that we're gerrymandered into a district in which we are the minority, as are many Austinites in other other districts. There are, you know, six congressional districts representing Austin, which went 45% for Joe Biden, and only one of those people is a Democrat. It, it's just, it's, I think there's a little bit of, um, you know, kind of like the media is pegged as, um, being like, oh, the liberal media. So, like, any any time they can possibly show, oh, no, 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 we can beat up on the Democrats, too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to do it. Whatever. They're going to get some clicks. It's like a good trollish, trollish thing to do. But it, it does aggravate me that mm-hmm. there's no acknowledgement of this in the same way that it aggravates me in the Texas Tribune, in the Statesman, in Texas Monthly, when they say... In Texas 21, which expands from Austin through the Hill Country, through San Antonio, you know, or extends, expands, spans, they use all of these words without ever mentioning gerrymandering. It's like, well, none of these places are really that close to each other. So maybe you should explain that to your readers. Hmm. I've run out of opinions in this (laughs) time since we've been together haven't i good your lack of opinions is shocking to me good god the election changed you lucas so that's where we are so i don't know i'm not you know it's going to be i i did see the other day that that one option for republicans with redistricting would basically be to surrender austin add a second democratic district in austin as a way of protecting themselves from these suburbs, which are becoming increasingly democratic. Mm -hmm. And while that is not a fair solution, because it would still be giving Republicans disproportionate control to what they actually Mm -hmm. get at the ballot box, uh, Mm -hmm. I do have to say just personally, it would be a nice sort of stopgap or something. I mean, it would be nice to just be done with these people in terms of who we have to subsidize. I hear you. Um, And it looks like yours and my neighborhoods would get scooped up. 
probably in that new district. Yes, TX I mean thirty-seven as it right. were. And it's it's hard to be too excited about that because it's also adding a bunch of Republican districts. Yeah. yeah. Um. Which, you know, whatever. But um, but Democrats couldn't you know couldn't take the Texas House, so we're gonna have to. Yeah. You know, deal with the consequences of that. I have a slightly different take on that Texas Monthly article and your your point that I totally had not thought about in that way until you just said it right now that Mm -hmm. aren't there more appropriate bum steers for the award this year? I get you. I, I hear that. And I do think in the past it is possible that the governor, lieutenant governor, AG, all of those folks were on that list won the awards, whatever. Mm. Um, But I read the article, and um, I think that many of us have been asking that question since the election, why did this happen? I I hear your frustration over gerrymandering. Obviously, it is wrong. Federal courts have ruled that it is illegal in some of those districts and have ordered that things get redrawn and blah, 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 blah. The end result is we knew gerrymandering was a thing going into the election. And the questions around where did the strategy, where did the plan go wrong are questions that I think we need to be asking ourselves. Uh, do Absolutely. we need a, um, you know, an award and a badge of shame to carry around? No. Do we need probably some time for some real reflection and asking ourselves and each other questions that are uncomfortable and difficult? Yeah, I think we need that. And I believe the article was actually quite well done um, in that regard, asking tough questions that will create hopefully the conversation that we need to move this forward. Yeah, I, I would agree generally. I think the reason I harp on gerrymandering is I'm I don't know. I'm not a statistician. I'm not an expert. I'm just someone who has been involved in, you know, the last however many years of campaigns in our district. I I'm not sure it's a winnable seat for Democrats based on how it's it's drawn. Because in 2018, when we did a little bit better, Trump wasn't on the ballot, right? So um, you know, all of those, you know, we, we've heard a lot of, oh, if everyone votes, um, we win. I mean, I've said that many times, certainly in Travis County, that's absolutely true. If everyone in Travis County votes, uh, you know, Democrats do well in districts that actually represent Travis County. But I, I don't, I, I, I'll be curious as we get a little further away from this. Absolutely, we need to have all of the conversations about platform, about organizing. Um, Obviously, Republicans went door to door. Democrats didn't. Um, You know, this election certainly seems like if it was a referendum on canvassing, canvassing is probably a pretty good thing. Um, But I don't know. I'm I'm not convinced it's – I think they they when they redistrict they know what they're doing. The computers know what they're <laughs> the computers know how to do it. And uh that's not to say to give up, absolutely not. That's not to say not to to fight for good candidates in this district assuming this district is a thing in 2022, which 
hey, maybe it won't be, fingers mm-hmm. crossed. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if the numbers are there. I I would be curious for someone to educate me about that. If you're listening, it's 702-907-RAGE. Give us a call if you know the answer to this. I, I mean, I don't know if there's one answer, but that's just my fear. Well, that's a great point for us to transition to our regularly scheduled programming today. With all of this rage that we have, how can we continue to be effective as activists, as people who care for others in this world? And where we left off was our inaugural discussion of the book Good Citizens by Thich Nhat Hanh, who is a Buddhist monk. And that is the topic of the bulk of this podcast recording today. So, Lucas, do you have any quick thoughts on your read, your first read of this book? Well, as as you know, I, I, I don't want to say I was a skeptic of this book. I was a skeptic. <laughs> Not of the not of any of the ideas in the book, but of how I might apply them to my own mm-hmm. life, given mm-hmm. that I'm not a very relaxed person. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's to be it's to be seen, Antoinette, whether I will uh, be able to adopt any of the specific sort of techniques in the book, uh-huh, if you will. Uh-huh. But I think the general theme of mindfulness is one that I appreciated and can get behind. Love it. I have some history with the book, so my take on it is not nearly as interesting to me as yours, Lucas. So let's take a quick breather. And when we come back, I want to hear all about how my favorite angsty, neurotic, rageful activist yes. friend is taking yes. Good Citizens by Thich Nhat Hanh. Lucas, right yes. before this break, yes. I, I labeled you and I called you neurotic, which I think you'd yes. cop to, and rageful, yeah. which I think you have certainly... Oh, Yes. But I also said angsty. Was that bad? You, your eyes were averted, and I thought, uh-oh. Oh, it wasn't bad. I don't know if I'm angsty, but it wasn't bad. Okay. I wasn't offended. I'm de- Neurotic and rage-filled, definitely. <laughs> angsty. I think of angsty as like my so-called life. Like, eh. I'm not that angsty. But oh, okay. anyways. Um, I'll go ruminate on that later. But for what, now. So c- can I just, for, for people who haven't, read this book, Good Citizens. Antoinette, could you just, how would you describe this in just like a sentence? In one sentence. Or to, or a paragraph. I mean, the way that I think of it is how to live with all of the pain and suffering out in the world that may not even be affecting you personally to be committed to doing something about it and to somehow be productive doing it without doing it without losing your mind or your heart. Yes, right. It was I don't kind know. of like, how, how yes. would you describe it? Yeah. I mean, I would say it's I don't want to say it's self-care because it this is about engaging with the I mean, it's about it's about finding ways to do all of the work we're talking about, but in an ethical way mm-hmm. and in 
uh, sort of an enlightened way. But it it did have that kind of like, yeah, it's about the inner work, Mm -hmm. you know, we all need to do um, while participating in society and just living. Um, I found it interesting. I mean, it's, you know, I don't want to say it's stuff like one already knows because it's certainly not, I hadn't thought about it in quite the way it's described in the book, but I think, I mean, there is a common sense aspect to when you sort of get rid of all of the distractions around you Mm -hmm. and you're focusing on breathing and on Mm -hmm. what's actually in front of you and observing deeply, uh, you know, good things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is not. I clearly, I'm. I'm not getting a PhD in theology here. <laughs> <laughs> so, for listeners who have read other Buddhist books, and in particular by Thich Nhat Hanh, because I've read a lot of books by other monks and nuns, um, he has a very specific style. So, you know, there are sections where he he goes into that sort of monk mode where he talks about the noble paths and the noble truths and they they fall in a very specific order and so he's referencing them in relation to each other i don't know lucas if you remember things like when you follow the fourfold noble path the third truth will tell you and it's just like wait what where what just for as a first time reader for this i had to ignore the numbers because it was too it was too many numbers i didn't i mean i i just went for the content it's very like him right that's how he writes his other books that's how he talks when he gives his speeches and his talks and all that stuff um i found it funny that i didn't remember even though i'd read this book three or four times how he just starts everything by centering on the breath and lucas what does that even mean to you as someone then who I presume has not read a bunch of Buddhist books before who has not engaged in a meditative practice in quite this way. What, what did that mean to you? How did you take that whole, like, I it just, all starts with the breath? Well, right. I have not done much in the way of meditation. That is true. But I mean, I will say, I still felt like I, I mean, you know, there's a reason we tell children who are having a tantrum take a deep breath (laughs) i mean yes i mean it's not uh you know i i mean i yes i i actually liked all of the stuff about breathing Mm. um that to me i i mean i guess what i found both helpful about the book and just a little bit funny about it was i mean basically all of this is um a particular way of saying be mindful about what it is you're doing, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. at all at all times, whether that's, mm-hmm. you know, the the food you're buying or, uh, you know, the activities you're engaged in, it, engaging in or the candidates you're supporting um, or whatever the, the case may be. Um, so I thought it was interesting to kind of look at um, all of the different sort of mundane things we do in a day and him saying, well, no, step, step back and actually observe what you're doing in these cases. And Mm -hmm. are you kind of making those choices? And then I also thought kind of the stuff about um, thinking about suffering and suffering being part of life and suffering being the, you know, 
there's no happiness with that stuff, you know, this, this kind of stuff. I mean, I, that I, I all found very interesting. It, it, this isn't the sort of book where it's like, and this I think speaks well to the book. It's not the sort of book where you read it and you're like, okay, here are the five things I need to do to mm-hmm. kind of, uh, be more mindful about what's going around me. Although there are like five things to do. I mean, there, you know, there's the 10th thing of the fourth thing. I mean, there's, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do, but you know what I mean? It it was more, I think you read this, you come away with a, um, it has more to do with a shift in perspective, perhaps for me Mm -hmm. than doing every thing on the, on the list. Yeah, and he's he's pretty reassuring too about saying that we and in, in our culture, particularly as Americans, we're so ready to go do. And I really yep. think that even as activists, uh, embedded in the word activist is the word act, right? And he puts a really nice emphasis on just being and making sure that we are being in a way that sets our minds and our hearts and our souls in an intention where we can actually do good. Uh, so again, that yes. whole like breath work was, uh, was a great reminder for me. It's also much more, I mean, it, the the book is much less doctrinaire than any other sort of religiously infused text that I've probably ever read. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it seems like there's some flexibility in how we, Oh, yeah. Go about our our days. Well, he kicks off the book by saying, like, uh, he tells a story about the Buddha, right? And says, right. Um, this is this is not about religion. It's not about religion. He right. didn't set out to create a religion, right? Right, yeah. No, it's, I mean, have, let me ask you, have you, do you use this book in your daily life? So the most complete answer is that on previous rereads, I have been able to in some way. So yeah. the first time that I had read it, I was coming back from a period of several years of not paying attention to the news, not reading the news, not knowing about current events, because I could not handle all of the feelings of frustration and sadness and anger and all of these things that it was bringing up in me. So reading this book for the first time allowed me to be able to re-engage with the larger world outside of my neighborhood and my family in a much more productive way where I could see what was going on and understand all of these different competing views on the world and still be able to find how I wanted to engage with that. Right. Um, I have to say this this time around was really different for me. I feel like I don't want to say I didn't recognize the book. It's like I was paying attention to parts that previously had not really resonated with me. And, um, you know, in particular, over years of reading about Buddhist meditation, Zen Buddhist meditation in particular, you read so much about um, the breath work and about breathing in uh, mm-hmm. the darkness and the pain and the suffering and then breathing out the light and the healing. Mm. And this reread, I think one of the things that struck me that had not struck me so much before because of where I am right now at the end of 2020 is the compassion for other people. And the way that I was interpreting it this time was compassion for people who I think are bad and wrong. (laughs) People who are doing bad and wrong things, making decisions that I feel are not beneficial and are causing more suffering. And 
for me, trying to think about how I can extend compassion to those people was something that I had not, it never entered my previous reads of this book before. That was new hmm. for me this time around. That, uh, and how many times have you read it? Mm. I think this was my fourth time. Wow. And they're spaced apart. It's not like I go back to it every few months, but um Right. Well it's also and it's not a it's not a lengthy. I mean you you know that's right. read it in a couple days. You can read day. it in a couple days. And again, this read it just struck me how how it felt like it was a different read again. Like I was just getting completely different value from it this time than the previous reads. It is funny to read this book like after Trump. I mean, I know we still have Trump, but yeah, it's like, yeah. shouldn't I have read this four years ago? <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yeah. But I I appreciated it. I appreciated this book. What do you think might have been different had you read it four years ago? Well, see, that's the hard thing because knowing me, I feel like not a whole lot because I, you know, well, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, I like the idea of approaching life from a slightly more centered mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. I like I like the idea. I, could I? <laughs> Not necessarily I, the discipline or the practice behind it. I mean, it's funny as like just painting with a very broad brush. Like, mm -hmm. I mean. There is like nothing, just as a Jew reading this book, a, a non-practicing Jew, a, a cultural Jew, if you will. I mean, this is the least Jewish book I've ever read in my mm. <laughs> life. Well, in in a way, in a way, it's not because there's actually a lot of similarity um, in in Buddhism and Judaism. I think in terms of looking at things deeply, asking questions. I mean, I think the. Uh, some of the goals are similar, right? But mm -hmm. just in terms of like, you know, I in at Brandeis Jewish Education Program, they were not telling us, okay, everyone just take a deep breath. I mean, that was not, it was, you know, you know, we gotta be, I don't know. I don't know what my point was here. It's It was just an, it was a, culturally a, uh, I, I, I think I've always had a harder time with, you know, when I used to teach seventh and eighth grade, we would always, we had someone who would come and work with the girls on, uh, at a girls' school on meditation and mm -hmm. uh, did a couple things at some different like centers and things of this nature. And I, I was always into it in terms of uh, giving the students as many experiences as possible and seeing what, what worked for them. For myself, I, you know, I, I get, I, it's, I, I'm not great at it. I'm not great at the, you know, all of the things in the book, but, <laughs> but I wish I was, I like the idea. I feel like I'm sounding dismissive. I'm not trying to sound dismissive because I actually really, as I said, I appreciated everything in the book. I, I, it's hard for me to see enacting some of it in my own daily life. Yeah. 
I, I don't know that I feel like the challenge is there to like be that person immediately as much as to mm-hmm. just identify a couple of those things that you can get on board with and try them out and see yes, how it I, works for you, right? Yes. And and being aware of kind of your body in the mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. I think. I liked all of that, mm-hmm. that stuff. Not that it was matters what I liked or disliked, but... I mean, it does. We're discussing exactly that. That's what a book club does. That's true. That's true. Well, (laughs) Um, as we know, yes. I I was kind of fascinated by you bringing up like your your phrase that this is the least Jewish religious book that you've ever read. And and it was making me think about how for myself being raised Catholic, that there is often this subtext that you don't always talk about or that people don't talk about with you when you're going to CCD, Sunday school, whatever, where, you know, you're just supposed to be selfless all the time. Like that's charitable selflessness all the time. Think of everybody else, never yourself 24-7. That this book was a departure on that for me. And it does have to do with self and how yourself belongs in the world and how yourself can affect the world through all of those small personal decisions that we make. Um, Yeah. That's fascinating. And all that said, though, this is not a book that's like trying to, you know, make you Buddhist or anything. It's just no, 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 it's not. No, it's it's not evangelical in that in that way. And it's, you know, it's stuff everyone can. You don't need anything other than yourself to do any of of what's being discussed. Right. Right. Well, so did you come out of it out of the reading with like one or two approaches that you thought you might be able to use? interested in maybe anything that piqued your attention oh yes do you see all of my, my i did see little, your dog-eared pages my dog-eared pages uh-huh. um you know i thought some of the ideas about kind of being satisfied with sort of what does he say with the conditions of the life that you have mm-hmm. and you know you already have enough conditions to be happy. It is thanks to your mindfulness that you don't need more. I mean, this whole train of thoughts I found useful. Mm. I did find it useful. I I mean, it's it's funny on this podcast thinking about, you know, interacting with our elected officials or any of the kind of activism we work we do on a daily mm-hmm. basis how this these approaches would impact that work mm-hmm. and i just i can't conceive of a world in which doing that work wouldn't just drive me completely insane as it does now no matter what <laughs> yeah i'm i felt on this reread a call to try to extend the compassion to people who over the last 4 years have not felt worthy of my compassion and so this reread, yeah. it's really challenged me to think, well, what if what if they were worthy of it? What would I do differently? What could I do differently? And um, so speaking of that, that thing that you just brought up here, yes. let's imagine that we go to our congressman's office and we know who all the players are on the staff, right? And what if we were able to extend a measure of compassion and grace toward those people? So... You know, in my case, it would be that one person with the face that looks like she just 
sucked on a sour lemon, mm-hmm. except that's just how her face is built 24-7. And then it looks even more harsh when I walk in the room. Like, how could I engage and be able to give a measure of compassion that's befitting any other human on this Probably planet? Probably not by starting with that description. <laughs> <laughs> Baby steps, Lucas. That would be my guess, but um, baby steps. Yeah, yeah. Having some empathy for the insufferable among for the insufferable, the suffering and the insufferable. Um, And you know, it it brought me back to a conversation. Well, our conversation in the last podcast recording, but some thoughts I had after it, which were. You know, what if we really are at the limits of the work that we can do when we aren't trying to reach across the aisle, quote unquote? That was a question that came up for me. I know that it's it's been difficult for me to think about how to, and I think in previous podcast episodes, you've used language something like um, how to extend humanity to someone who wants to deny me my humanity. You've said something kind of like right, that, right? Right, right. Um, And yet, what if we've reached the limits of just dismissing those people that for four years we've been trying to, you know, make our way at the grindstone, pulling left, pulling left, pulling left, and just dragging people with us? And what does that mean for our ability to have conversations with these people to extend compassion, have real conversations? I mean... I, that's I think the I mean this is the a central question mm-hmm. that we are are facing is be, yeah because from my point of view it's like these these conversations just don't need to happen anymore mm-hmm. they just they're they're just not good for anyone's <laughs> mindfulness or well being. It's hard. Um, uh, it's been hard for me to justify taking the time away from the other work we could be doing to have those conversations. And now I'm asking myself, are those the conversations we need to be having now? Yeah. It might yeah. take years to change minds. And yeah. if we never start, it'll just take many more years after that. I I agree with that. Well, that's a cheery note to end our good citizens discussion on. <laughs> But are we ever known for cheeriness? I don't think this podcast well, I don't is known know. for cheeriness. Maybe we're not the cheeriest. Yeah. We have cheery laughs. Um, we have cheery laughs. Okay, Antoinette. So we talked a big game about season two. We got through half of it. Then the election hit and we were like, we were wiped out. Mm-hmm. We're going to do one more um, one more episode on Good Citizens. Yep. To run, one more to book club the, style. One more episode. book club style mm-hmm. episode with an interview. Mm-hmm. We hope. Mm-hmm. Um, in the next couple weeks, mm-hmm. and then then we're in a regroup. Mm-hmm. Then we're in a regroup. Season three, we think, is coming in the spring. Yes, and when we say spring, we really mean 2021. In 2021, sorry, in yes. the first quarter in, of 2021. Yeah, in, in right? early 2021, yep. uh, with a more regular. I feel like we, you know, for given that this podcast was born in the pandemic, uh-huh. I'm going to give us good points for consistency up until the election. Mm. Very, mm-hmm. con- we were very consistent, mm-hmm. and then we just. I needed a damn break. 
goodness we i couldn't hear my i could not hear my voice anymore we all did we all did um so we will do that and uh yeah we have some ideas for season three not not a book club definitely not a book club with all with all due respect someone was never going to have white wine I was a re- I was a little reluctant on the book. I'm going to confess. I I think I dragged the book club down. <laughs> I think I think uh, we are going to regroup and we're going to find format. Um, I feel like we kind of know what the content's going to be, but we're going to look at a format. Yes. That well, and the format may be a little closer to season one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Potentially less time into Antoine and I did a lot of research for season one. Remember? We did. We did. Well, okay, so sneak peek, I think we're leaning toward Texas Ledge. So I think we're talking about the Texas Ledge. This is we have become such good podcasters because as you know, the number one thing about a podcast for me is, you know, a podcaster cannot possibly know what they're actually talking about. Otherwise is <laughs> otherwise is it right. really a podcast? Is right. it really a podcast? Um Okay. So all that said, uh, stay tuned because we are going to have that last episode of season two. We're going to aim for that to hit the airwaves before the end of 2020. We will regroup and we will see you in 2021 for season three. And then we will see you in 2021, season three of This World. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter Twitter at Oh This World Pod. Oh This World Pod. We are on email at Pod at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon. Yes. It's only taken me eight months to say that word correctly. If, by the way, we say we'll see you next week and then don't show up till 2023, <laughs> don't worry. You are only charged when an episode actually hits Goes live. The air. Yep. Uh, we will, if your credit card expires in between shows, we'll let you know. <laughs> um, and most importantly, out of all the ways to reach us, yes, the Rage the, Line the is rage great. Line. 702-907-RAGE. After today's episode, we could also call it the Peace and Compassion Line. Yes, 702-907-RAGE. And I know, I know that in our long period, we, we did get at least one caller to the rage line so we will have to listen to that call next week very excited about that one very excited 702-907-RAGE if you've read Good Citizens if you've read Lies My Teacher Told Me if you've read White Fragility and O also (laughs) speaking of speaking of White Fragility I am going to put an article in the show notes called about that wave of anti-racist bestsellers over the summer it is on lit hub it is by Catherine morgan it is a very good piece i thought um and we didn't discuss it today um because we want to get good citizens going but putting it in the show notes give it a read and we will maybe touch on that next time as always thanks for listening lucas great to see you Good to see you, Antoinette. Stay safe, stay healthy. See you in between a week and five years. And happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye, everybody.